Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome you to episode number 99 of the Primetime Rundown right here on the Eastern Observer alongside my co-host Mike Zabo. Joey Jarzinka with you. I'm live from Philadelphia. Mike back home in Queens. Mike, good to see you, sir. How are things back home for you? Uh, doing well. We're back in the main studio tonight, so that's <laughs> always good. And, uh, you know, ready for a really good show tonight. Yeah, it's going to be tons of fun. We've got a really, really good panel on tonight. Of course, we'll be welcoming back our good friend from the fourth period, Dennis Bernstein. DB will be joining us for the first time in probably about a year. So it'll be good to have him back. And of course, Mike, our show is presented to you by Black Cats NYC. Be sure to download their newest album called Free Cake, which is out now. Play loud. Listen on Apple Music, YouTube, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, YouTube Music, Pandora, and Spotify. We've got not only DB coming on to chat the Pacific Division in our NHL preview, our first of the 2022-23 season. But of course, we'll be talking about this past week in the NFL, last night's uh, contest slugfest between the Chargers and the Chiefs. And also Mike and myself will be making our week number two picks right here on the air. So let's get things started. There's a mu much more to talk about in addition to what we just listed. But, you know, we, we put that as the much more part. And, uh, you know, we were just driving through Philadelphia uh, about two hours ago, and I didn't realize that, um, you know, not not really many places to eat where I am here. And um, I actually ended up over the Ben Franklin Bridge, went into New Jersey, about like 20 miles away from here, and uh, just made it here in time for our show to start. So, you know, only I would do that. It, it just it makes no sense to me, like, you know, why things like that would happen. But we're here. We've got a disgusting background uh, over there with the bed. Uh, housekeeping didn't come here today, unfortunately. Could have done it myself, but I uh, decided against that. But uh, yeah, let's uh, let's get things going here. And uh, Mike, we, we got a chance to see the Chargers and the Chiefs last night. And it looked like it was going to be a Chargers uh, blowout. And it looked like it was going to be Chargers the entire way. Uh, the Chiefs couldn't get anything going in the first half. 17-7, to 7, the Chargers, they were... Uh, in front the whole time they were in the lead in charge um and and they, they they really looked looked the part but then in the second half no surprise Patrick Mahomes and uh and and just everything what he brings to the NFL as a whole uh was on full display in the second half yeah I mean it was really just the team of you could really tell the difference the team that's been there and done that compared to the team trying to get to where the Chiefs are. And sure, we, you know, we've spoken at length this offseason about the, the changes within the Chiefs. Uh, obviously, Tyree Kill going, uh, uh, you know, being traded to Miami and the tons of collections of, of wide receivers that they brought in from Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and whatnot. Yep. Um, they still have a great core in there of the, the teams that have, you know, been going on these trips uh, to the Super Bowl, four straight AFC championships or championship appearances and whatnot. So, and that's exactly what the Chargers want to start ascending to un under Justin Herbert, uh, you know, under center. And you could just really see the contrast, the team that's been there, the team that hasn't and whatnot, and really showed out in the second half. The Chiefs just grew into the game, made the key plays when they needed to make it, and the char Chargers just, you know, faltered. 
Herbert with the bad interception. And then, of course, you had the drive where uh, they were they were backed into the, their own end zone, really, for the punt. And, you know, the punt gets absolutely muffed. It it's only goes 30 yards. It sets up uh, the Chiefs to really start taking the lead and, and control the game. So, you know, just some bad plays there and, and on the road. And, you know, all of a sudden the Chiefs just – that team that they've been the last few years just find a way. Yeah, I think something else, too, also was when um, Justin Herbert, he did get hurt. Um, he was diagnosed with a rib cartilage fracture uh, after playing through um, an injury uh, or playing through that injury uh, in the loss last night. And we got a chance to see Chase Daniel. He did come in for just one play, but um, a little a little concerning, you would say, uh, the moment he went down and um, he was he really was laboring and he immediately pointed towards, uh, you know, towards towards his side. He was completely uncomfortable. He came out for a play. Uh, and obviously that is the NFL rule. If the trainers come on, you got to come out for one play. And then um, and then Chase Daniel came in one one carry. That was all. Um, but this is something that I would assume that Chargers fans, obviously, they can exhale a little bit, um, but still have to, uh, you know, take some deep breaths when um, if if uh, if Herbert cannot practice uh, come next week. Yeah, I mean, he, he it really seemed like you could tell on the broadcast he was really laboring. Yep. And, you know, he I think uh, I was listening to the uh, the Westwood one call and uh, 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 they were saying that, uh, you know, he seemed almost like a boxer really, you know, trying to cover up and, and favor that side. So yep. who knows what the extent of the, the injury is now and how it will develop over the next week. But as much as we, you know, you know, just mentioned about some of the errors in the second half and whatnot, and how we've seen, you know, that youth from Justin Herbert the last few years, it's it's undeniable how talented he is and and, and how good his potential can be as a quarterback, and how much if he's out for an extended period of time, how much of a massive blow that is for the Chargers because there's really no room for error given the division they're in. And everybody is really, you know, in a huge position to contend there in that division. Everybody's made big moves and, and wanting to get to the promised land into the playoffs and beyond. And you really don't have that much room for error. Literally zero. And the only thing that would be the saving grace that uh, the Chargers do have, Mike, is Austin Eckler. He's one of the top rushing, uh, you know, rushing running backs in this entire NFL. But um, you know, again, what Justin Herbert means to this to this squad is bar none. Granted, they already lost Keenan Allen due to injury. Mike Williams looked pretty good. Gerald Everett, uh, Gerald Everett looked pretty good yesterday, uh, just prior to that bad interception in the fourth quarter, uh, which eventually was that pick six. Um, and then the whole thing too, where if if he's out long term, do the Chargers become this team that obviously is? Um, they'll obviously become run heavy. But the thing to me is, is that do their expectations dwindle a little bit uh, with the, with, with this tough division, this tough AFC West division that they're in, because they also have to look up to the Raiders too, who granted they did lose, but, and we'll talk about them in a few short moments in our week two preview, but they've got a, another game to play this upcoming weekend and it's going to be a must win for them. So now things might get a little desperate and messy, for the Chargers, and you brought it up too. Their depth is very lackluster right now. Granted, they did get Khalil Mack in that trade uh, with Chicago. Uh, they did lose Melvin Ingram last year. 
Um, but you know, there's there's not a lot of depth on this on this squad, and I I I, I have to agree with you. I think there is zero zero margin for error. Um, it's okay when you have issues of depth because then you have Derwin James who's just spine busting people left and right on the team. Yeah, and 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 you know, and and you look at and and, and yeah, right. And you look at also what Clyde Edwards-Hilaire did as well. And, you know, a lot of people in the offseason, I think we were talking about them too, uh, or talking about him too, was was that, you know, Edwards-Hilaire, CEH, as he's better known in, in those parts of Kansas City, that um, he's overrated. He's an overrated running back, but he did not look that yesterday. Uh, eight attempts, 74 yards. Austin Eckler had a tough day against that tough defensive line led by uh, led by Chris Jones, who – is one of the probably best defensive linemen in the NFL. I'm not going to go and say that he's Aaron Donald status or anything along those lines, but he, Frank Clark, uh, those guys, they just clog up the middle, and they did such a good job yesterday stopping the run, uh, led, of course, by Eckler. Things look so good for them. And, you know, obviously in Steve Spagnola's defense, Mike, we know that the pass is not is, was, was never great. The secondaries that he's always been a part of have not really been great. Um, but it's just that defensive line always. You look back to the Super Bowl years with the Giants. He always had a stout 4-3 defense, and he's got it here uh, with the Chiefs. But, you know, it was for a little while some Swiss cheese, if you will, where um, people would just run all over Kansas City. But last night, Eckler had a tough time. And, again, now that I think about that, you know, when we talk about this, this part that potentially Herbert could be missing time, if he does, and they play a, de- a defensive line or even a defense like the Chiefs played yesterday, they're in serious trouble. Yeah, I think you're you're in trouble anyway because you, I mean, how much can you know can Chase Daniel can uh, continue to carry the expectations uh, you know of you know what you had of a fully healthy Chargers uh, squad. Um, he, he can be a solid backup. He's been around, you know, he's been around the league. He's been a veteran or whatnot, but obviously Justin Herbert is the guy one way or another. It may take a step down and it's really going to test the coaching ability of Brandon Stanley and um, where they're going to go, uh, how far they can uh, go this year in terms of his coaching and uh, make up for a possible absence of Herbert. Uh, to go on the Chiefs, I think you're, you're spot on with the the defense and whatnot. They always want to. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo's always wanted to have pressure to the quarterback. You never have to worry about the secondary then if you're able to get that that you know proper rush. Yep. And uh, you know, I I think it's something that a, a young Chargers team facing those those kind of teams and, and defensive lines that the Chiefs have. It's a younger team that hasn't really you know in terms of playoff appearances, yet hasn't earned its stripe as much. Um, they, they may struggle with it. Um, so this is going to be a real prove-it year um, if Herbert's all healthy and fine. Of you know, Where is this uh, Chargers core and their maturity into trying to become a championship team? Yeah, and Brandon Staley's got a lot, a lot of work to do. Uh, to see if he can, uh, if his team can live up to uh, live up to the height. So let's rewind a little prior to uh, yesterday's week number two beginning. Let's go back to week one, Mike, and we saw a ton of really fun things. Uh, we got a chance to see, of course, and and again, even though I am in Philadelphia, Philly 
almost blew that contest against the uh, the Detroit Lions, 38-35. to 35. But back home in New York, the New York Giants, they look absolutely revitalized. I don't want to say that they are, you know, this this Cinderella team that we expect to to you know go go all the way or anything along those lines. It was one game. It was one stone cold Brian Dable call at the end that made the difference. And you saw it in the end. You saw the locker room. You saw the celebration. You saw the way that Dable was talking to his entire locker room. It was a completely different scene than we've seen in recent years with Joe Judge with uh, um, uh, I'm I'm blind. I'm, uh, yeah, thank you very much. With yeah, yeah, with Pat Shermer. Um, so you know w- w- what you saw there for those that did not see the Giants beat uh, the Tennessee Titans twenty-one to twenty. Uh, a minute nine to go. Uh, twenty to nineteen was the score. The Giants were down by one point to Tennessee. Do you go for it, uh, or you know, do you do you go for the extra point to tie it and go into overtime, or do you go? and potentially go for the two and go for the win. So what does Brian Dable do? He goes for the win, and they convert. What an amazing job by the Giants to eventually come out of what we did see. And, Mike, I know we were talking about this last week. We remember when Daniel Jones was struggling so much that Brian Dable was yelling at his quarterback. He was yelling at his quarterback, and and, and it looked like that he was done. It looked like maybe Tyrod Taylor could potentially – uh, get some reps or anything along those lines if he couldn't figure it out. And then after that conversation, the Giants became alive and the Titans did not know what hit them. Yeah, I think it was just a, a, a jolt of reality for Jones where really hasn't had the, those type of coaches that we've, we thought were going to be strong personalities, but they really haven't. You know, he's been this guy. The franchise is obviously they, they drafted him a few years ago. They're sticking behind and whatnot, but you never really saw that from the sidelines. Any of the coaches and whatnot, seriously, you know, going after Jones, trying to motivate him, or, or really go after him after a bad play or something like that. You hadn't seen that as much, and, and I think it was a real jolt to reality to Jones that listen, this is a different uh, coaching staff and one that didn't draft me, and you know, but at the same time, they're they're putting a, a lot of faith into me and and. You know, someone I always say someone who's criticizing you that hard is one who cares. And and, you know, I think it was just a a moment of reality for Jones that, you know, Dable is a real different kind of coach than the last few coaches uh, that I've been with. And, you know, you need to start playing your best football. And I think that sums it up perfectly. Brian Dable so far, culture changer and. I think it, it just reflects what New York football has been in the last five, six years or whatnot when we're all celebrating, you know, one game and a week one victory like it was a damn Super Bowl. But so I want to temper expectations and all that. You know, the Giants are just going to run ripshot over mediocre teams and go four, five and oh, uh, you know, so I'd want to temper expectations there. But that was probably the most optimism you've seen from a Giants win and a Giants game in three to five years, they had their moments where they looked like, all right, they can be competitive. And I think that's the biggest goal for the Giants this year is this is not going to be easy. This is not going to be quick of a rebuild yet again under a new coach. But at least there's got to be a step up and that has to be at least being competitive. And they were absolutely competitive uh, against Tennessee and made some big time plays. Uh, down the stretch and the biggest part of it 
is if Saquon Barkley may be back and rookie, and we saw the return of rookie year Saquon Barkley in week one. And if we see that again, oh boy, all the people who were looking to, you know, just cut him off and have him traded, and I'm one of them, will look absolutely stupid. Well, I'll be honest with you. And like I said, um, you know, our, our other co-host and our good friend Ian Schreier is not on the show for a while. Um, has not been on since the beat since since our last Friday show, um, which was back in May. But the reason why I bring this up without him is because we could talk about some gambling here. And what I did the moment I crossed uh, the George Washington Bridge a couple of days or uh, yesterday coming here, right? Uh, I pulled over on the side and I said, you know, let me look in my Caesars account, which had a few dollars in it. And I said, I'm putting down $5, $5, pretty cheap of me, right? $5 for the Giants to win the division. Oh, gosh. Listen, the reason why I bring this up is because the other topics that we're going to be discussing, the commanders, they look pretty good. The Cowboys lost Dak Prescott and the Philadelphia Eagles looked absolutely abysmal in the end on defense we bring in we bring in the next topic mike and the next topic here that i've got before i want to get to your topics that you like from from week one is how long is the leash for mike mccarthy the head coach of the dallas cowboys 19 to 3 was the score in favor of tampa bay that is not okay the way that dak prescott was playing and the entire offense was playing before dak got hurt it, it was a disaster. Yeah, absolutely. And Buccaneers are not. Uh, that was just I- incredibly poor. And, um, you know, uh, we we talked about, we, we previewed the Cowboys, uh, you know, earlier on in this summer. And, you know. With RJ and Choa, yeah. Yeah, R- RJ was saying how there was going to be potential struggles with the offense. You saw. I don't think uh, everybody really valued the the departure of Amari Cooper, how good of a route runner he was and how good of a wide receiver he was. And this is an offense that went from being number one statistically in the, in the NFL last year to being an absolute disaster last, uh, last week, just not being any sort of a factor whatsoever in the game. And I think this was a do-or-die year for Mike McCarthy either way, that if they did not get to at least the NFC championship game. He was probably going to be fired. Listen, Jerry Jones has these huge expectations and whatnot, and he always does, you know, how he hypes up this Dallas Cowboys franchise and, you know, throw out their net worth there and America's team, like he likes to say, and all that sort of stuff. So there's always going to be insane expectations. And I think this, like I said, if, if, the Dallas Cowboys don't make the NFC championship game, which I I can almost guarantee that won't happen unless something bizarre uh, occurs. Uh, Mike McCarthy will be gone. I think the the leash is just really short. I think he could be gone even sooner. I I think uh, if Jerry Jones doesn't see the the play improve, I think before the trade deadline, he probably fires him and they probably uh, try and do something on the trade deadline for a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the thing to me also is, is that I look at and I say to myself that because Dak Prescott is hurt yet again, does Mike McCarthy's does Mike McCarthy's leash 
extend mm -hmm. a tiny bit more. I personally don't think so. Now, I think that, again, the way what we have seen um, with Kellen Moore also running the offense, too, things have been very, very stale, have been stale. Now, granted, as you did say last year, they were statistically number one in almost every single offensive category last year. The way things worked, they had one of the best wide receiver cores, if not the, the best wide receiver trio in all of the National Football League with Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup. Now, granted, one is gone and the other is recovering from a torn ACL. Uh, Michael Gallup has worked his way back. He was also he signed a, a lucrative extension. Uh, with Dallas in the offseason, which was very, very odd. Things you don't typically see when you're nursing uh, an ACL tear or trying to recover from that. Um, but again, you ship away Amari Cooper. You still have CeeDee Lamb when a couple of years ago, as we recall, um, Dallas came in and swooped, absolutely swooped up um, CeeDee Lamb because he was not supposed to go to Dallas. There was not supposed to be a wide receiver that was supposed to go there when they already had Cooper. They had Gallup um, at, at the time. And now you see that two are, two of those wide receivers are gone. Uh, things looked poor. Dak Prescott went 14 for 29, uh, 134 yards with one interception. Zeke Elliott was an absolute disaster. 10 carries for 52 yards. Uh, Tony Pollard was, uh, was really non-existent. Six carries for eight yards. Um, the, the receptions were, were absolutely terrible. Um, but then again, how much do we, do we say to ourselves that, you know, they, they're dealing with injuries left and right. We get it. But at the same time though, is, is that, as you said, Mike, their expectations are so large that there should be no issues with this team, um, and their depth that, I mean, that's just the way I look at it. And, and well, well, the problem with their depth as well is um, you're going to have to sacrifice parts of your teams be because they paid so much for that offensive line, yet it's either been injury-prone or not as effective a, as they would have hoped. And I think the, the the largest problem, too, with the offense is that they're expecting a lot from CeeDee Lamb. Uh, you know, early on, I get this is his, what, third year yeah. in the NFL, and they're expecting him to be – the number one team, and, and it, it's a it's a lot to handle for that sort of franchise. That you know, it's there's such huge expectations. I mean, we know it. We're in New York sports, and it's very similar with the Dallas Cowboys and, and, and that sort of environment and expectations around the team. And they're expecting uh, C.D. Lamb to be the number one wide receiver. And then what is it after that? With Gallup injured, it's you know a, a combination of you know what you would call wide receiver threes and whatnot. It's a right. it's a, a stark downgrade from some of the names that you saw and the wide receiver core that you saw the last few years. And it, this is where Mike McCarthy again has to earn his stripes as a coach. And how are you going to scheme around this? I think it always seemed strange when he was brought in, given the fact that it looked like he was absolutely cooked in his time at Green Bay and you know maybe time had passed by and it just wasn't working anymore was becoming too predictable and for Dallas I mean you know since you know his time coming over here it's been okay for the most part they've been a good team but not as good of course as what Jerry Jones wants it to be in return it to the glory days and just hasn't been there and you know we've mentioned it in the offseason the, 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 the specter of Sean Payton out there 
And, you know, like it, it, if it doesn't happen, uh, you know, like I said earlier, if they don't get to the NFC championship game, you know, try and lure Sean Payton. And I would be surprised if he wouldn't be the Dallas Cowboys coach by this time next year. Yeah. And, well, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, defensively, it just looks look decent. Really- they look decent defensively. Or it was, was it Tampa Bay struggling? Uh, maybe it was a bit of both. I think that there always seemed to be a little banged up earlier on in the year when we talked with uh, our good friend Evan Winter. It's always, you know, the occasional, you know, Mike Evans hamstring, Chris Godwin still recovering from uh, the ACL. He got hurt Julio again. Jones he got hurt. Really hamstring hurt. problem now. Yeah. And Julio Jones, we never know how much we can expect with how uh, injury prone he's been in the last few years, although he had a pretty solid uh, outing. And it always just seems like with Tom Brady teams that they're always kind of stuck in second gear for for the first few years. It always was that way with Bill Belichick in New England, but it seems sometimes that translates over uh, to Tampa Bay as well, which you always want to play your best as the year year goes on and and once you get to the prime time either way. But I think uh, even on the Dallas sort of things, I think a lot of their defensive numbers – you know, sort of got elevated last year and, you know, in terms of carrying over to this year and a little bit overhyped. I mean, Trayvon Diggs, you expected was going to have a bit of a drop off. Who's going to have another 11 interceptions this year? But even with all the interceptions, it kind of hid the fact that he was consistently getting burned in coverage every single time that, you know, half the time they target him. Um, So there was always going to be a little bit of a drop off there. And with the defense, but I mean, boy, there's a lot of concern right there, right now down there. And Mike McCarthy really better figure this out quick and not end of the season quick. Yeah, absolutely. And since also week number two uh, is upcoming in the next uh, in the next, or rather, we are already in week number two, uh, which he's got to get things going pretty much really quick because now they're hosting the reigning AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals um, this upcoming weekend. So speaking of the Bengals, um, before we get to the commanders, um, Cincinnati, um, they fell to Pittsburgh. They fell, uh, Joe Burrow, four, four picks. T Higgins got a concussion. Um, Mike, my question to you is, is because, you know, a lot of people probably might have thought, and I was one of them was the Super Bowl run a fluke from last year. Yeah, I, that's the exact thing I wrote down in my notes. Is is this going to be a sophomore slump for Joe Burrow? And you know, it, it's really, it's really tough to to say right now because you know the Steelers always a great uh, coach defense and and whatnot. But I, I think we we do see. Uh, I think we'll probably see a little bit of a slump from Burrow. I, I don't think it's going to be interception prone like we saw there in four interceptions last week but uh i think we'll have to temper our expectations from them just being you know the really great team that they they were last year and making that run to the super bowl not saying that they don't have the capability but uh, i believe they lost a couple of guys on that defense from uh last year and uh you know a lot of now everybody knows joe burrow as well where last year you know, due to the injury two years ago, not really everybody had seen him in the league yet and whatnot. So I think there's going to be an adjustment period now. People know who Joe Burrow is. People know what the Cincinnati Bengals are like. They saw the great run last year and, and 
coaches and leagues always catch up a little bit and vice versa, how you adjust. Um, so I think there's going to be a little bit of that period. I, I, I think, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to say it's a slump, it, it, you know, that all was a fluke just yet. And it's going to be a sophomore slump. It was just week one, but the signs are just not looking good at all. Mm, and and you know what though for me i feel like it's a tiny bit and keyword is tiny bit early um to say that just because when you look at some of what um what the problems were for cincinnati a season ago it was the offensive line that was an, an absolute disaster going into mainly into really the season was how is Joe Burrow going to hold up after he tore his ACL back in the 2020 season? That was his. That was his. Uh, you know his 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 freshman campaign, and then last year things looked good, and now you know things are a little bit off again. Exactly what you said. You have to temper expectations. I think a lot of people were so high on what this Bengals team can do. Now, granted, what what we have seen with the with their head coach and Zach Taylor. It looked good. It looked really good last year. Um, I personally thought they were going to win the Super Bowl the way that they were playing towards the end. They they were they were unstoppable uh, towards the end. And again, it just you know they they simply could not um, get it done. They um, just by taking a peek here and seeing the one of the the um, the defense the really the the defense Trey Hendrickson was another massive player who we spoke about a ton last year. Um, we also spoke about Eli Apple, who actually, Giants legend Eli Apple, who played fantastically down the stretch. Granted, he did get burned by his uh, uh, by his former teammate and Odell Beckham Jr. in the Super Bowl. But again, what we got a chance to see last year, I don't know if we can see again this year. And also, too, we do remember there were times when uh, their their freshman kicker Evan McPherson was an absolute fierce player. No pun intended. Uh, he really was phenomenal last year. I don't expect that to happen again. But he the Steelers five yarder Joey. He he's going to be if Cincinnati's going to have issues. It's not going to be because of their kicker. I can no. Tell I'm you. aware of that. But all I'm saying is is that everything everything from top to bottom expectations have to be temp- have to be tempered. Yeah. everything from top to bottom. Um, the next thing here that I've got in terms of my top five things, well, before I get to my thing, Mike, for you, what are your, say, say what, are your, uh, what are your headlines in terms of what you got to witness in week one? Well, my first one, I'll start off with, with the season opener and that, frankly, the Buffalo Bills are as legit as we thought they were going, we were going to be in, in the preseason and whatnot. I mean, they just showed on prime time against the defending Super Bowl champions. They are absolutely and should be considered the favorites uh, to uh, win the Lombardi Trophy this year. They looked like they're, they're firing on all cylinders. Josh Allen looked absolutely fantastic. Uh, Singletary had a, had a pretty uh, good um, game as well. Yeah. You had uh, Gabriel Davis seeming to emerge as this great, you know, wide receiver number two threat. It's a, a fantastic deep threat for for Josh Allen. Continuing what he was showing in last year's playoffs would be, which would be absolutely huge for Buffalo uh, to have another great weapon around Stephon Diggs. 
And then, I mean, that pass rush, you just can't get over that pass rush. You were talking about it last week. And, you know, Von, the addition of Von Miller, you know, having that, that, that guy, you know, we talked about before. And, 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 you know, that guy on the defense that everybody has to worry about, create opportunities and whatnot. And just that impressive secondary as well, that impressive defensive group all around. They have all, all the tools that they need uh, in order to win uh, win the Super Bowl this year. And they just had as good of a week one as you, as anybody could have had. And the best part about that too, Mike, is that they were missing their wide their cornerback uh, number one too in Tredavious White. They were missing him. They still had uh, Jordan Poyer over there uh, in the backfield um or in the secondary rather they also had still obviously Micah Hyde back there as the uh, as one of the as one of the safeties too um things looked really really good but for the rams though they're still missing they're still missing some pieces now and i and and we were talking about that too because they've got another crucial game uh, against atlanta now obviously atlanta is no buffalo but there were a lot of a lot of issues that were exposed by Buffalo for this LA Rams team. And we'll obviously get to talk about that next week, but I can name a whole ton that we already named last week, but the Rams are a team that a lot of folks have to watch out for. And I don't think that they have what it takes to get back to the Super Bowl. I really don't. And that's going to be my, my, my bold prediction um, right now. And which is why also, when you look back at our Super Bowl picks, um, both you and I chose Mm -hmm. Buffalo. Over, yeah. obviously, Tampa Bay and San Francisco, respectively. But the Rams, they have a lot of work to do, Mike. They've got a lot of work to do, and I can see. And I think, again, Atlanta will try and expose every single thing that Buffalo did. And I don't think I don't think they're going to do it to as best of the ability that Buffalo is able to do. But if they can't figure things out, there could be some problems um, out in L.A., they might, and and when I say I'm not, I'm not going to say problems. Like they'll make it back to the playoffs, obviously, but there, there, there needs to be some some fixing on the offensive line. Andrew Whitworth retired. That's a big loss. One of the best left tackles in the league is gone, and that now hurts the blind side of Matthew Stafford. Don't get where's me wrong. That, where's Allen Robinson? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's another thing too. Is that, but that, that at least with, with Allen Robinson, you can begin to gradually fix because that is just a chemistry thing, I believe. And you heard it too from Matthew Stafford and you heard it from the entire team was, was that, yeah, it was a matchup issue where that's why he didn't get a lot of looks. He didn't get a lot of targets. He didn't really get anything. Granted, if we see it happen again, then then there, then then some questions will arise, and I can't wait to read up on our friend Cam De Silva and see what he's got there with the Rams wire from USA Today. Uh, Mike, what else you got um, with your uh, with your top headlines from last week? Yeah, I mean we went through already with uh, with uh, Joe Bur- Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals, and of course the the Giants as well. One thing I'll, I'll go on next is what is going on with the AFC South division. I mean, my, my, my goodness, I, I don't believe that uh, they, I, I think they're all, I think they're the only division that was completely win, winless uh, they were. this week. And of <laughs> course, the Colts and the Texans played each other and played out to a, 
2020 tie. I mean, the Titans, of course, losing on a missed field goal to the Giants, which, um, you know, for a team and the expectations they have of winning the division, going back to the playoffs and all, that's a really bad loss at home in week one. And then, of course, the the Jaguars losing to uh, the Commanders, which, again, another disappointing year. Who knows where this team is going um, with Trevor Lawrence and whatnot. It, it it just there's so many questions around Jacksonville. I mean, good God, this AFC South division, an absolute mess. And the two teams that we expected to to sort of rise to the proverbial cream of of the crop in the that mediocre division in the Colts and the Titans. I, I mean, they just just really didn't live up to that. Just yeah. a lot of bad signs from them, and the the Colts just don't. Don't seem to have that that edge. Whether it's you know you want to give credit to Houston and, and being and trying to be competitive and trying to take the next step and whatnot in the rebuild and being a lot more uh, competitive than last year, or simply it, the Colts in these close games and whatnot, just not having the edge. The defense needs to make that one play or whatnot. Um, they they missed uh, you, you know they they had a lot of issues with kicking. Uh, they they got rid of Rodrigo Blankenship. They missed yeah. a couple of potential game winners uh, and whatnot. So you had a lot of special teams errors that really cost them. Oh, yeah. So uh, that division is just, as a whole, is just an absolute mess. Oh, yeah. And, and then the other thing, I'll maybe stick uh, Mike Tomlin in there as well, but I just want to give Pete Carroll a shout-out. I mean, what a fantastic coach that, uh, you know, he is. We, we've said it before, and – you know, I think uh, uh, Monday displayed it perfectly. Once again, how, how good of a coach uh, he is. Too many teams in the NFL, you always see that they're not having the, the franchise quarterback anymore, the, the quarterback that they drafted in the lottery and whatnot. It's not working out or it's been traded, like in, in the case of uh, Seattle. And, you know, now it's these middling journeymen or, you know, mediocre uh, guys didn't work out here and didn't work out there. Oh, well, they're going to be a lottery team already. It's that, you know, this and that, all that sort of stuff. And these sort of coaches, Mike Tomlin, Pete Carroll, and all show just how hard it is to win in the NFL and consistently create a competitive product. Um, you you thought, you know, the old uh, gunslinger and Russell Wilson coming back, you know, for his homecoming and all, leading, you know, his new young buck team and all going to be this playoff hunt campaign or whatever, Pete Carroll said, no, 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 it's not going to be that easy coming in here. And they won a game with Geno Smith behind center. I mean, good God, Geno Smith. Giants Giants legend Geno Smith, yes. There you go. So it's just so impressive uh, how how well he coached there. And, And conversely, some of the, you know, rookie head coaching uh, errors there from Denver. Yeah. Now, week number two. Week number two. Um, these are my headlines, um, which really, Mike, is is just it's unfortunate that we're going down this road. Um, we are going down the road of the big W. And for those that do not understand what this W is, that is the W from Wario, from Mario. Uh, because I have zero respect for the Washington Commanders because I hate the name, and I think the Washington football team sounded better. I really do. I think the Washington football team sounded better. So now, when we discuss the Commanders, it will be 
the Warriors. Uh, that's exactly where we're going to go down. So uh, with that being said, uh, I personally believe can Carson Wentz replicate his performance from last week against the Detroit Lions? I don't believe so. Uh, last week, Mike, we got a chance to see what Wentz was able to do. Uh, he had 313 yards, four touchdowns, two picks against a, a, a brutal Jacksonville team. But the Detroit Lions last week looked fantastic for the most part throughout the entire game, and then they put it on in the fourth quarter. Can the Commanders, or the Warriors, as I say, um, can they potentially, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but upset Detroit? They're no longer an easy out, the Lions. Yeah, I mean, the, the Lions just, uh, they looked really good, even in a loss. DeAndre Swift, whether he's going to be healthy this week or, or whatnot, we'll see. But they have a really good running running back tandem in, in, in Swift and uh, Jamal Williams. Oh, yeah. yeah. it's The offense just looked really good overall. Dan Campbell and, you know, sort of the energy that he brings and all, it looks like there's something that you can work with there defensively. Certainly the talent over time certainly has to be upgraded and improved but i mean there's something to build around there um you know i think for for the commanders i think what uh i really liked seeing uh, uh curtis samuel looked really good oh yeah um, you know, oh yeah i think the san francisco 49ers need to sue for copyright as curtis samuel was doing his best uh um debo samuel impression with uh, 55 yards in the air with the touchdown and then the, the 17 uh, rushing yards. So, oh, uh, yeah. An interesting weapon there. And uh, of course, Scary Terry doing his thing. And Jahan Dotson, too. Jahan yeah. Dotson looked great, too. Penn State's very own Jahan Dotson. Yeah, they, they look have great. Re- great, too, Mike. They have a really good, uh, they have a really interesting uh, wide receiver core that. We'll see. It really all determines on the play of Carson Wentz, which has really seemed like the theme for the commanders in the last few years. Um, you know, the these journeymen sort of quarterbacks, backup guys and whatnot, and a lot of the team's success is going to really de- uh, depend on their quarterback play. And so what can they get out of Wentz is, is really going to, to resemble where this team is going to go. But they have some interesting weapons. And even on the rushing side of things, when you know you scheme things well and get things going, Antonio Gibson uh, is not a bad weapon at all. Now, something else, too, um, just for the lack of time, we do have about two and a half more minutes in our segment here. Um, this one really concerns me, and I know it concerns our good friend Al Carl as well very much. Uh, Matt Patricia calling uh, offensive plays for the New England Patriots. Now, Mike, they looked bad. They looked bad down in Miami, like really bad. Um, This is a team that is supposed to be on the rise. This is a team that after COVID, they did lose a bunch of guys due to opting out. Then last year, they looked really good in the regular season. They got absolutely walloped by Buffalo in the wild card game. Uh, But this team is, I can't believe I'm talking about the Patriots being on the rise, but they are because they've always been up top. But now they lose Tom Brady. They got Mac Jones. They're back on the rise, but with the way we saw, with what we saw against Miami, do we see a duplicate performance from this uh, from this offense uh, with Matt Patricia calling the plays? And if we do see it, how long is the leash on him? 
Uh, it's it, it, it looked really bad. I don't think the leash is going to be that long. You know how Bill Belichick wants the coaches' teams, uh, the expectations and whatnot, the culture that's been built, Tom Brady there or not at this point. Um, it, it, I don't know how long of a leash he's going to have. Like you said, it looked god-awful. I mean, it, it's like me, who was a defender playing soccer, trying to play the number nine striker. I mean, <laughs> what are you doing? Like a, a defensive guy, his entire career, his entire career. Oh, yeah, let's call some offensive plays. Uh, does the guy even know what a wide receiver uh, short slant is or, or whatever? Short slant route, does he even know the route names probably? Uh, I mean, is it really going to pick up? Are we going to see a repeat? Absolutely. I mean, look what the, the Steelers did, just uh, held down Cincinnati and played out a, a really uh, entertaining contest there. You think they can't do that against the Patriots? Absolutely. T.J. Watt or not, they have a pretty solid secondary built around Minka Fitzpatrick. And, uh, yeah, I, I think the Patriots are going to be just as bad again this week. Uh, it, it's just not looking good whatsoever. Well, let's uh, let's keep rolling on here. And uh, since again, for the uh, for the lack of time, Mike, um, I wanted to continue on with our week two headlines. But with that being said, let's keep the ball rolling here. Um, we've got to make our picks. Let us give you the week number one standings. Um, not only the standings, but also the the results. First, we will go with the results. So. Um, we look here and something that our good friend Ian Schreier kept telling me, you, Rob DeLuca, um, kept saying over and over again, yeah, that Baltimore Jets game, that's a trap. Well, Ian, you know, I got to tell you, you know, <laughs> that it sounds pretty bad and, you know, it's. And and oddly enough, Ian lost last week. You look, he, he chose he chose the true trap, which was the tie, Indianapolis and Houston. And he, Casey Bryant, LP, Larry Patakowitz, and John DeCani all fell for that trap. I mean, listen, it, it's not it's not ideal. And for those that don't know, I have sacrificed myself from the primetime rundown team. I have now joined the enemy in the Essential Wrestling Podcast. So on my own show, I'm not even on my own team. So Mike Zabo and Ian Schreier are leading the way uh, in terms of, or the, the captains, if you will, since, uh, since the primetime rundown is also their show. Uh, but Rob DeLuca, Mike Zabo, and our good friend Evan Winter are 1-0. And Mike, going back to the standings here one more time, Evan took the Chargers over the Raiders. Talk about a bold pick to go that route. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, Evan so far coming into the league, I mean, my goodness, he, he's bold, really going for it. I, I, I love it. Um, but the, it's really refreshing uh, seeing that energy. So such bold picks and so early on out of the gate. And I think what's crazy is, is that I couldn't carry us last year, but it looks like now that we are starting from scratch and I'll be carrying the Essential Wrestling Podcast, guys. So Let's go EWP and boo to the primetime rundown. That's right. That is that is the uh, the model that we're going with. Mike, your pick for this uh, for the for week number two. Who do you got? Uh, I feel like I, I I should go very bold, and since I just hyped them up so much, and and go with the Pittsburgh Steelers over the New England Patriots. Wow. Uh, that that are is. Are you keeping it? <laughs> are we locking it in? Uh, 
that that's tough. Uh, let's make this, you know, put 30 second clock on me. <laughs> yeah, right. We can do the hair. Here, we'll, 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 we'll give that for <laughs> All right. All the way down there. There you go. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I almost feel obligated to get, given the fact that I said the Patriots are going to look so god awful again. But um, and especially uh, uh, Pittsburgh is is home as well. Um, so you know what? Life is short. Why not? Let's, let's, <laughs> let's go. Bold. All right. So your pick will be the Pittsburgh Steelers over the New England Patriots. That is a bold pick, no doubt about it. Uh, my pick is a little is pretty much the same same routine as um, as what we have seen. The Cleveland Browns and Patriots legend Jacoby Brissett will make the New York Jets look silly once again. And the reason why we go down that route is because of what we have seen with Joe Flacco. It was a legitimate disaster. Bring in Mike White. You heard the chants, Mike White, Mike White. Uh, that's what you wanted. The Jets fans wanted him uh, against um, against the Ravens last weekend. It simply did not happen. Things did not look good with the Jets. And now you've got Robert Sala telling the media that I've got receipts. These are things that you simply don't say after week one. You don't do that. Uh, I think things are uh, things are on a little bit of a downfall once again, or they're pretty much staying down and below the street level uh, for the New York Jets. So they will fall to the Cleveland Browns this weekend, and that is who I will be picking uh, in this week's Survivor Pool. Uh, Mike, let's keep on rolling here. Let's go to Major League Baseball. The New York Yankees and Aaron Judge, 57 home runs. Uh, he's well on his way to 73. Will he get there? I don't know. Chances are very good. He will be breaking the uh, Roger Maris's record of 61. Uh, but also something else, too, is, is that the, this New York Yankees team, they all of a sudden have revitalized, and now they've won four straight. They're six and a half games up uh, over the Tampa Bay Rays. And now it's almost like a, a little another jolt of life here down the stretch. And now what we're hearing too from um, from some reports is that Harrison Bader most likely will be in Yankee Stadium come Tuesday night, ready to play. Uh, Luis Severino will be ready on Wednesday against Pittsburgh. Uh, that's a big deal. The Yankees are about to be taking on the Milwaukee Brewers out in um, uh, out in Milwaukee uh, in about twenty minutes or so. Um, this team is on an upswing here, and Milwaukee is extremely desperate. If the Yankees can continue going on here, um, they could potentially be a team to watch out for. Are they World Series worthy yet? I don't think so. Um, but this is a team that is back to being on the rise. Yeah, I think this is exactly what the doctor ordered after all the mediocrity that you know we, we've been seeing and talking about for, for almost the last two months. And you know, now finally they're starting to pick it up once again. And injuries have injuries have really hit them as well. It's been a problem for the lineup. You, you think about some of the regulars over the last month that have fell. Anthony Rizzo really being babied with the back injury. And then now it's the injured list and the headaches as a result of the epidural injection and, and whatnot. Benintendi, you know, having uh, the bone issue in his wrist, uh, you know, snapping oh. in the swing. Uh, Carpenter way back when, um, LeMahieu, uh, which is mind-boggling to me that he was playing with practically a, a broken toe or something like that for uh, a month or so through, throughout uh, the first half of the summertime. And now, of course, that's resulted with him on the injured list. But 
yet they've they've won out of eight out of their last ten, and you know the talent around Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge has continued to do what he's been doing all season, which feel like we we've seemed to almost take for granted. We've seen it so consistently enough this season, but I mean. Just to highlight him for one second, I, I think for most uh, Yankee fans my age or around your age, Joey, I think probably the, the greatest individual season that you've seen probably in our lifetime was probably, steroids or not, 2007 Alex Rodriguez. And Aaron Judge is doing this without the, the, the specter of steroids and having, I mean, one of the best offensive seasons for an individual player in what, the last 20, maybe almost 25 years in baseball? Uh, it, it is, he's, I would be shocked. He doesn't hit the record. I think he's probably going to hit 63, 64 home runs when uh, all is said and done in the regular season. Um, he is just making absolute history. It is fantastic to watch, and we should never, ever take for granted the, the season that we're watching, no matter the career that he goes on to have hopefully in pinstripes. Um, and around him, the talent is starting to pick up once again. Uh, uh, IKF, to start out with him first, we've, we've gone through ups and downs with him, and there's been a lot of talk in terms of you know the lackluster hitting, the label that's been put on him as the singles hitter, and the mediocre defense at shortstop. Well, We talked about it last week, how he should be moved to third. I don't get what's the resistance over it, not playing Peraza, et cetera, et cetera. But his bat has started to pick up again. He's hitting 350 in the month of September. Um, And as much as people really, you know, criticize his offense and all, he's been the uh, outside of judge, of course. He's been the Yankees' best performer with runners in scoring position this season. He hits when... You need it the most, and yeah, he's a ground ball hitter or whatever, but he's he's getting the hits when you need it the most, and he's starting to heat up again. Glaber Torres is the biggest one. He's looked a lot better in the last two weeks. His swings yep. look a lot better. If he can get back to being you know himself that he was in the first half where he was almost a borderline uh, all-star uh, candidate, um, you know, it really just improves this lineup massively, really lengthens out. Uh, this lineup. And uh, I think it was on uh, Talking Yants, uh, that podcast. I think they had Ian Happ on. And they, they sort of brought up Glaber Torres and how and he's really just been bogged down and in his head after the, the trade rumors that were made at the deadline. The Yankees seemed to, or not even the Yankees, but teams were calling on Torres. Uh, there was, of course, the rumor of a failed uh trade with Miami for their starter Pablo Lopez whether or not uh, Glaber Torres was involved in some sort of those talks or whatever but I mean uh, just to to even uh, you know just go off of what they were saying it was absolutely true and Glaber Torres how active he is on social media and whatnot I'm sure he wasn't immune to hearing these things and maybe it really did affect him over this last month and a half or so where he was just absolutely poor um, but it seems like maybe he's starting to come out of that. And if you see the uh, you know first half Glaber Torres throughout uh, the rest of the way and into October, boy, that's huge for the Yankees. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think really seeing a majority of the team just continue to uh, to traject upward is absolutely massive for this Yankees team and really their playoff hopes. Because in my opinion, 
I thought that they were going to be a one and done. Uh, and they'll 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 get the bye. They'll be uh, the probable probable two seed in the in the American League. And whoever would be playing them, one of the winners out of the wild card, um, would be just absolutely running through them at Yankee Stadium. Uh, I, I wouldn't expect anything less at that point. But now things are changing. Now the Yankees are getting a tiny bit healthier. Can this team kind of turn the tide around a bit? Can they get healthy? But can they also perform and stay healthy at the same time? That is going to be, I think, the biggest key. And now we're seeing with Harrison Bader coming back too. We we know about his defense. We're not so much so sure about his about his offense. And again, we know what he's capable of in center field. So we'll see what the deal is there. I, I'm I'm still concerned though about the pitching in this playoff in in, in the playoffs. If they can find if they can get things together. Um, Mike Garrett Cole was paid as a as an ace. I don't know if he can if he can get things done in the playoffs as an ace. We saw it last year against Boston. He was an absolute atrocity up in Fenway. It was over in the wild card game. And I get that he's had really bad numbers in Boston, like historically bad numbers in Boston. Granted, but then again, there are times when he has 14 strikeouts against Minnesota. Or there are times when he'll have, um, you know, he'll 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 blame it on something else, and Luis Severino is just waiting in the wings, ready to go. But we remember what he did back in the wild card game back in 2017 against Minnesota, gave up eight runs in the first inning, the disaster. Granted, they did come back and win the game, but still, there's a lot of question marks for this team, especially on the pitching side too. And Frankie Montas too, I'm not bought in on him 100 percent yet. Yeah, Montas ha- uh, he he's really hasn't uh, lived up to a lot of th- uh, a lot of things since being traded over. Um, I-, I don't think anybody was expecting a true ace when trading for Montas. I think that was absolutely unreasonable to uh, expect. Maybe you were hoping for you know a good number two. He's probably closer to a good uh, number three, which I don't know how much you you love the deal then if that's going to be the case, but. Um, he, he, again, like this is the the risk. Um, he's never been on this stage. So once you get toward the tail end of the regular season into the, the playoffs and whatnot, he's never been in this stage. Um, Garrett Cole, listen, it, it, there's a lot of things about him we could go on uh, uh, for a while. It's which version of him you're going to see. He was fantastic in the, the shortened season, postseason, no crowd and whatnot. He was fantastic in that 2020 and that unfortunate one and done exit he was absolutely the ace that you, that the Yankees were looking for um in 2021 it was Fenway Park for whatever reason the man is not able to pitch in Fenway Park and that extends past the Yankee uniform even when he was you know ungodly absolutely unhittable Houston Astros Garrett Cole for whatever reason there was some hijinks on him at Fenway Park and of course then the 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 Pittsburgh Pirates you know, uh, days too, and the limited numbers mm-hmm. there. Um, yep. So whatever reason, there's some voodoo on him at Fenway or whatever. Um, I don't think we'll ever truly know the answer on, on Garrett Cole. Is he going, can he be this $36 million ace? Can he pitch these big games and, and whatnot um, until we see it? He's, I mean, ever since he got shelled uh, against Seattle and Yankee stadium in the beginning of August, 
he's been absolute money for the most part, um, except for the Fenway start that we've recently seen. Right. Otherwise, he's been really strong. Um, so it's really just what version uh, of him you're going to see. Um, you you want to see more of the 13, 14 strikeouts that we've recently seen, the great performance that he that you mentioned that he recently had on the Twins. I think he can be that. I believe in. I, I personally do believe in Garrett Cole, and I think especially numbers two against Yankee in Yankee Stadium. No matter what, he's going to be the game one starter, and I think you could be fairly confident enough that uh, I think he'll deliver a good start. But I do understand the concerns. So you look at and you see and you say to yourself about the New York Mets who have concerns of their own, Mike. And right now, with what the Mets have come in with. They're they've they've only won they're five and five in their last ten. They've won one game. They're playing Pittsburgh right now. They're up on them. Uh, but Atlanta, awfully close, right? The defending World Series champions right behind them, just a game back. Uh, and they're struggling a little bit too, but they're playing Philadelphia. So I think this uh this Mets team, they are really, really rooting on uh this this uh this Phillies team, crazy enough to say. Yeah, I mean, they, they just need a break to just get some uh, some breathing room here. And, and uh, you know, really, I think the, the biggest thing um, with the, the Mets you've seen is really their, their offense struggling um, oh, yeah. a little bit. The pitching has been a, a big has been a big problem. Yeah, DeGrom got his 10 strikeouts, but it wasn't a pretty performance against a lowly Cubs team. And getting swept against Chicago in, in a, uh, for a team that the Mets want to be and where they're at in this stage of the season, I mean, that, that's absolutely inexcusable. Um, they, they really need to start picking up, just find one last jolt of life to just finish off this season, finish off this division and get to the real season, and that's the postseason, which, I mean, I think they're absolutely geared up for. I think yeah. the biggest problem with them that we're going to talk about uh, uh, depending how their season goes, is how they skimped on the DH position at the trade deadline. And it worked for a time in the first week or two with uh, uh, Darren Ruff and, and, yeah. and Daniel Vogelbach, and he became a cult hero and all that sort of stuff. But it's been bad for the last month. It showed these guys are platoon hitters for a reason and secondary uh, depth guys for a reason that you know, the Mets thought they were clever going this uh, interesting route with skimping on the position. It hasn't worked, and who knows? It could come back to haunt them. Well, you know, there's there there's a there's another team that's actually out in Los Angeles right now that I gotta I have, I've gotta ask our good friend DB this because you know in addition to well first off DB hello and it has been <laughs> such a long time since we've seen you so welcome back my friend how are things out in LA before we get to the to the Dodger question for you that impromptu Dodger question double J Mike it's great to be back with you uh, things are great uh the summer was welcome. The break was great. You know, we did the cup final. We did the draft in Montreal. And the first two weeks of August was great for a rest. And then about the middle of August, I said, let's go on board. So <laughs> I'm ready for the season to start. So, And, yes, you could ask me a Dodger question, but I was born in the Bronx. I'm a Dodd in the World Yankee fan. But let's, let's have at it. What's your Dodger question? Well, I think the thing is here is is that we know that the Dodgers, though they're ninety eight and ninety eight and forty four, they've they've locked up the NL West. But you know, I, I think and this will make Mike laugh. But you know, there's a guy, Mike, that we were talking about pitching and everything like that. There's a guy that's on the Dodgers, Yankees legend Andrew Heaney. That the Dodgers, <laughs> I tell you, I mean, hey, listen, I don't know. 
in all honesty, though, obviously he's not going to be the the savior. But um, right. you know, do the Dodgers have what it takes to uh, to get back to the World Series? Do they have what it say? Will they will they falter? Um, you know, in in the division in the in the NLDS and the NLCS, what do you see with them, DB? Well, Double J, I don't think they'll lose in the in the divisional round because a couple of things. Heaney is going to be a bullpen option because you're going to have Urias, Anderson, and I guess Goslin, um, and uh, and maybe Dustin May. So they're pitching in Lonzo. I watch his team every night. His family season ticket holders. My wife's a huge Dodger fan, so she makes me watch the Dodgers every night at, at you know 7:30 local. Uh, you look at the top four of that lineup: Mookie, Trey, Freddie, and Will Smith. That's tough. That that that's where the strength of this team lies because when you look at the bottom of the order. Look, Bellinger's making some inroads. Max Muncy's still trying to recover from that, that elbow injury he had last season, which really hurt them in the postseason. Yep. So, yeah, they should get the – now. but the Mets, look, if the Mets are going to throw, you know, Max, Jake, and Bassett at them, that's going to be a tough team to beat. Now, they're going to have to have more offense than they have now, and there's some guys that are really MIA right now. But the, the Mets-Dodgers would be intriguing for me. Could the Dodgers go? Absolutely. Could they win it all? Without question. This team is a machine. And I think just Freeman, if you watch what he, Freddie's done the last couple of weeks, he's gotten to the conversation about the batting title. He, yep. He's ruining you know, Goldschmidt's uh, triple crown year. This is a dangerous, well, but I think it's the pitching. Because when, is anybody afraid of the names that I mentioned at the rotation? So I think that, uh, and Craig Kimball, he's been great lately. But you look at his numbers, they're kind of ugly. But when you're 50 games over 500, like the games don't matter, guys. The games haven't mattered since, I think, June when there was like a one-game lead between the Dodgers and Padres. Dodgers went and spanked them and they took off. And now it's a 20-game lead. So whatever you want to project off their numbers here going down the stretch, you can't do it. This is a solid team that's been there that's certainly equipped uh, in every facet. If a guy like Blake Trinan comes back and he's been – having a lot of injuries. I think the back end of the bullpen you might worry about, but they should easily get to the division. But then, even the strength of the Mets pitching, I still think it's a toss-up. Mm, look at that. Look at that little <laughs> prediction there from uh, from our good friend DB across the way. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's, of course, properly introduce our good friend DB we have not seen. Ladies and gentlemen, Dennis Bernstein, one of the co-hosts, of the hot of uh, of the fourth period, well, from the fourth period, the hot stove uh, on nice. Sirius XM NHL Network Radio Channel ninety one, the hot stove powered by the fourth period. So, uh, DB, let's get into it. Uh, of course, hockey's back. You're down in El Segundo all the time, going to see yeah. uh, the LA Kings, and uh, you know, there's obviously a ton to talk about with the Kings, but we'll uh, we'll wait a little bit on that just because. Uh, you know, we'll talk about a little bit of the uh, of the competition that LA faces this year. Sure. And it seems almost like the um, the Pacific the Pacific Division has gotten a little bit better. You look at you look at Calgary. We had on Eric Francis during the summer, and we kind of interrupted his sum, his uh, his summer <laughs> up in the cottage. He wasn't too happy about that, but he uh, you know all all was said and done there. Seattle it, uh, Seattle got a little bit better. Uh, Edmonton finally shored up their uh, you know their mm-hmm. goaltending situation, which was a nice thing. Anaheim is still in a rebuild. Vancouver, I don't know where they are, but they locked up JT Miller. Uh, yeah. Many, plenty of questions on defense. Uh, Vegas, they've got a lot of goaltender issues. Who knows what what it's going to be? Uh, who's going to be back there? Uh, DB, I got to start with Calgary with you. Just mm-hmm. uh, you know, to to see what 
you know, what's happened throughout the summer. And obviously the, the Islander is out here. They, 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 they don't have Kadri. Everyone thought, and all of the insiders thought that yeah. John Shannon for one had him locked up in, uh, in, uh, on Long Island. That didn't happen. And uh, now you've got Kadri, you've got Huberdo, you've got Mackenzie Wegar who's out there and the latter most likely going to be signing an extension at some point uh, with Kachuk out now in Florida and uh, and uh, and Goudreau now in Columbus. This team, did they get better, or are they the same as last year? Well, I, I don't think anybody had a better summer than Bradtree Living, right? Because he had to do that, right? Johnny walked. Matthew Kachuk was not going to be a long-term player in, in Calgary. And, and so at, at the 11th hour, looks what he's done. They're yeah. different, JJ. I'm not sure they're better. I think they'll be about the same. Because when they'll be more dangerous with uh, with Kaji and the grit that he brings and the feistiness replaces what Kachuk had, right? Uberdo and uh, Johnny Goudreau, that's probably a push with respect to production. Uh, so, but what Kaji does, it makes them more dangerous down the middle because you traded Sean Monahan away to Montreal. You got to pick for him, whatever. Who cares? Doesn't yep. really matter. Uh, but but then you go Lindholm, Kaji, Backlund down the middle. That that's. That that could be a championship, you know, the center ice position uh, with respect to its depth chart. Uh, I'm not sure they're going to be a lot better than last season because they had a perfect season last year. They really had. And and here's the thing, I, I know Kadri makes them better, and they, they'll probably sign Uyghur, and he's a really nice ad. Uh, that's a great trade for them. But when they lost last season to Edmonton, the same thing happened to one player in the playoffs for two consecutive seasons, and that's the goaltender Jacob Markstrom. He wore down. He was not the same player. Now he, they were talking about him for the Vesna, you know, halfway through the season. And I think he's one of the primary reasons that Calgary lost in the postseason to Edmonton. And that's with Mike Smith and goal in the other net. Now he just wears down. He plays too much. And that's the one thing about Daryl Sutter. He rides his goalies. And I don't think if, if Jacob Marks is going to play 60, 58, 62 games, then you got to check out and see what he's going to do in the postseason. So, yes, this is a very dangerous team. They have enough depth to go to the cup final, but you know, they got to have better goaltending. Number one, number two, they got to figure out the way to stop the Connor and Leon, which they'll probably face again in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. I, I think just a dangerous team to, I think they're 115 points. I think what's going to happen guys is that the top of the division may not be, you know, 115, 117 points, but the bottom you mentioned Seattle, adding Shane Wright to the mix with Matt, Manny Beniers and Yanni Gordon in the middle. They have, they have a solid depth chart in the middle. Anaheim, look, you're going to be entertained by Zegers and probably McTavish this season, but not much more. That's a rebuild right there. The, the San Jose, uh, you know, bless my career taking on that job because that's a huge undertaking. It's an older roster. It's beat up. Finally, they solved the uh, issue with uh, Vander Kane today, which is a good thing for them to come on from that. Uh, but this is going to be a competitive division. And the one thing in Vancouver – you got to watch out. Yeah, they gave JT Miller money. I have no problem with it. But what does that mean for Bo Horvat? I think that's the one guy you got to look at that that could be on the move because uh, I'm not sure they're in a position to pay, to pay Bo if they're going to pay Brock Bezer, if they're going to pay uh, you know, Elias Pedersen. So it's going to be a very interesting division. But when I handicap this division, I think it, I, it lays up for the first four teams the way it did last season. So I think it's Calgary, Edmonton, L.A., uh, Vegas, Vancouver, although – I don't know about Vegas, guys. I, I just don't know. I, I, any one of those goals. Look, 
I was never a big Robin Leonard fan, and people know that. And that's an honest. I applaud him for all the, the stuff he's done to promote what people can do to help people with mental health issues. But he's not a championship goalie to me. I think he's 12 and 12 in the playoffs. He's not a guy that's going to win you a cup. Never thought he was. But the replacements, and you trade away Pacioretty for nothing, it's, it's a mess. But that's a team that if Jack Eichel raises up and gets 100 points, they still have depth. They still have quality. So a very interesting division. I'd say right now in the moment because of the depth down the middle and adding Kadri uh, at the, you know, unexpectedly, the Calgary would be my favorite to win the division. You know, DB, it's it's wild to see with Vegas because I think we've said this, and I think we've said this with you before, is, is that I couldn't stand, and I think I, I've said this to you personally as well, is, is that I could not stand what Vegas had started to do where – um, where they traded away Nate Schmidt, they brought in yep. uh, Petrangelo, and you heard from a few players there too, and I'm sure you can vouch for this too. Was was that they were kind of turned off by the continuous, you know, they 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 signed these big contracts and then they're yep. shipped away because they found someone better. Um, it, it, I don't want to say it's almost like karma is coming back to bite Bill Foley and the entire Vegas, uh, you know, the Vegas team in, in the butt. But it's, you know, when, when you look at all of this stuff here, it's almost like the, you know, quite possibly the, the chickens have come home to roost here where, um, you know, now they're beginning to kind of, you know, th- don't get me wrong. They have a fantastic mm-hmm. roster, but they've got those injuries where, you know, one, one injury might right. make or break their season. You look and, you saw they made the trade for Aiden Hill, um, who yep. I don't know. Are you going to expect maybe he might be the number two? Logan Thompson would be the number one. Like, there's a lot of question marks there in uh, in Sin City. Yeah, well, I, I think JJ to, to talk about the top the top of the food chain. Yeah, it's the shiny toy theory. Every yeah. off season they made a big splash, and that's because the owner Omer's very visible. He's in the locker room after games, and I get it. He owns a team, and look, look, look the first year skewed everything. Right. There was going to be a pattern of building this team. And then they got to the cup final. So you throw that, that, that one plan and throws out the window. Now we're going to go be aggressive. And look, the fans love when they were aggressive and then when it didn't pay off and they didn't perform in the playoffs, it's fine. So yeah, there are grumblings about how players are treated there. Yeah. But you know what? There's a salary cap and everybody can't play in New York or Los Angeles. So you got to go play there and they still have a formidable roster. It's an older roster. It's right now the window's about to close. But mm-hmm. I can't think that Mark Stone, when he signed, and, and I love that player, a heart and soul guy. I don't think he signed up for the fact that Max Pacioretty's now in, well, he's, you know, he's on the sidelines now with an Achilles, torn Achilles, that he was going to Carolina. I don't think that, that he lines up. And no disrespect to Chandler Stevenson, who's probably going to be the de facto left winger on that line. He didn't sign up for that. So I, I think that, A, it, it, there, there's a question of chemistry. I do think they'll be better with Bruce, Bruce Cassidy. I think certainly they'll be a different type of team. Um, they have a shot at making the playoffs, but yeah, you look at that goaltending depth, and I'm like, okay, they do like Logan Thompson, and maybe he is the guy, but he was he was undrafted, right? So I, I don't really know. I think it's I think there are huge changes in Vegas if they don't get to let's say the final uh, this mm. season, because I, I think this is it for McPhee and McCrimmon because they've made mistakes you can call them mistakes but is the team any is the team better than calgary or edmonton or you go to the the central colorado st louis no they're they're a pack team and i wouldn't be shocked if they didn't make the playoffs but to say that with this team with all the moves they made and big time moves to miss the playoffs in consecutive seasons 
I don't know how that's going to that, – I don't see how that would sit well with Foley. I think there would be a new management in that team. So they're, they're under the gun from an on-ice and certainly from a management position in Vegas this season. Mike, take it away. Yeah, DB, you talked about goalies, and let's let's talk about Edmonton for a second. And they went yeah. to the conference final with, you know, not the best of goalies in Mike Smith, and they finally get one in, in, in Jack Campbell. And, and yet, I mean, what's the expectation would you see really in, in Edmonton and how much farther could they go? Is this going to be what can take McDavid and Dreisaitl all the way? Is this enough? Well, here's a caveat. Jack played here in Los Angeles. He's a great guy. All his teammates love him. He is one of the nicest, most lovable players in the league. But he hasn't went around, has he, in the playoffs? I think. I don't think because he played in Toronto and they don't get out of the first round. So, (laughs) Mike, here's what it does, though. That you will not see that soul-sucking goal that Mike Smith gives up from center ice in the playoffs. Like I was in the building in Edmonton when that puck went in the net from center ice. (laughs) <laughs> That's not going to happen because you don't know what you you know what you're going to get from Jack Campbell. I think if you have a, a decent defensive effort in front, you're not going to have, give him up give up the, those pivotal goals at the wrong time where the guy's out of position or flopping around. So I think from a from a a mental standpoint, a mental approach, I, I I think they'll be more secure if they were going into say to a divisional series against Calgary again. I think they feel better about the goaltending with Jack Campbell in that. Um, that said, Jack hasn't done anything in the playoffs that would warrant saying, okay, is he better than Mike Smith? Uh, I just, I, when you're in the building and you see the puck go in from center ice and you see Edmonton, which was, there was no louder building in the playoffs than in Edmonton. When you hear, feel, and see the air get sucked out of the building when a guy gives up a goal like that, you just can't have that. And so I think that, Mike, is going in. They'll say, okay, we know that, like, yeah, Mike Smith got get hot, but when he's bad, he's going to lose you a series. I, I don't think Let's put it this way. Coming in the season, I assume Edmonton's going to be in the playoffs. Uh, if they lose a series or they don't go to the cup final, I don't think it'll be because of Jack Campbell. So because of that, I do think it's an improvement in net for the Oilers. Yeah, and, uh, you know, just just going off of that as well, we we, talk, we talked about Calgary. We talked about uh, some of this top line. And, and you know what? Let's talk about the, the, the Kings as well. You know, this is a year they, they made the big uh, – uh, trade for Kevin Fiala and you know where is this team in terms of trying to take that next step and getting back to where they were earlier in you know the 2010s well the next step would be a divisional title right they had 99 points uh adding Kevin Fiala who was an what an 80 point a game player a dynamic player and I know people kind of focus on goals guys but I look at Kevin Fiala and I see what 53 or 51 assists last season he's a playmaker yes this that trade and I've said it publicly. I've been begging Rob Blake to make a trade like this for three years. Like, use some of your assets. Like, I don't know. Like, Brock Faber was supposed to come to Los Angeles and be here for 10 years and wear an A. Well, he probably didn't even want to play in Los Angeles because he wasn't signing. And the, the first-round pick, who cares? Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not a prospect guru. I want every time you get the best player in the trade, you won the trade. And Kevin Fiala makes this a more dangerous team. Now, I'll say one thing. Victor Arvidsson had surgery on his back in June for a herniated disc, and I'm not sure he's going to start the season. So, mm-hmm. yeah, adding Fiala to that top line. And the key to adding Fiala to the top line, guys, is I mentioned his playmaking ability. If you look at the year that Adrian Kempe had, great goal scoring, but he had like 19 assists. He's not a good passer. Kevin Fiala can make plays, can make passes. 
you know, I, I would have liked them to chase Johnny Goudreau. People in LA think I'm nuts, but that's been a, a longstanding theory about me. Uh, but they needed that type of player. But but here's the thing. Here, here's my question: Would teams like Colorado and let's say Florida and Tampa Bay, you know their core players, you know their core four or five. Right? Who's the core four or five in Los Angeles? It's still Kopitar, it's Dowdy, maybe it's Quig, it's Fiala. They don't have the elite talent that says, okay, they can go up against Colorado and win a series. They can't, not at this point. They're a better team. And not only that, their system was great, but they didn't get great goaltending. If you look at your statistics last year, guys, there's no way they were a 99-point team. They were plus three goal differential. I think they were like 20th in save percentage. Like Their, their power play was awful, but they bought into their system that Todd McClone came in. This was a system team, right? Now, you had 85-point score. Um, they won a lot of close games, guys. And, you know, what's going to happen with the Golden? Cal Peterson was supposed to be the guy last year, and Jonathan Quick said, not so fast. He did a Lee Corso on him. It's not so fast. I'm I'm the guy. And he started, I think, 50-some-odd games. He started all seven games of the playoffs. And John now is, what, 36 years old. He's in the last year of his contract. What's going to happen here? So, like, I think they'll be in the conversation for the division, they are not yet an elite team because they need, first of all, here's the, guy, the first guy at the top of the food chain. They need Quentin Byfield to score more than five goals in 40 games. They need progression from Arthur Kelly. who had a great season for a rookie. I think he had, what, 16 goals? But he had 13 in the first half. He finished with three in his last 33 games. He was a non-factor in the playoffs. was a healthy scratch. They need the kids that they've talked about forever now to emerge because now it's not oh is this going to work no you have a system in place this team plays to it their identity they don't give up much but now to get over the top you need more offense from this team i think they were 20th or 22nd in offense that's never going to win you a title so i think in the mix for the division i think we're at least another year away from like a serious contender because they're probably going to have to add at least one more score and i don't see that happening until next offseason so my next question for you db sticking with the kings here is is that you know, obviously for you and I know on with our interview series um, when you and I first met, something that really um, stuck out to me was, you know, obviously you're able to go into the locker room. You're able to meet with these guys and which we'll get to, I'll get to, you know, that in a second, because now the NHL, you're allowed to go back into the room. Yeah. You'll be able to talk with them. That's really good for you, especially since, you know, you you really talk with these guys and get to know them and whatnot. But um, with with Dustin Brown, um retiring and now could this be a second straight year of potentially king's royalty and most notably in jonathan quick uh is this his last year in la double j i'm going to answer that first day of camp <laughs> i don't know does he yeah. look there, there's nothing more to do for that player right he's won two cups he won a comp smite he's paid he, he's he's not a he's a low-key guy so i'm sure he's got more money in the bank than he'll ever need I'm not sure. It depends. If he comes through this season healthy, and let's say they get to a conference final and lose, get out of the division, then maybe he signs up for one more year. I think it's also incumbent on how Jack Campbell, I mean, not Jack, uh, Cal Peterson. Cal Peterson, yeah. Right? Because Cal's getting $5 million this year. Like last year, he was on his entry level. Now he's getting $5 million. They want him to be the man, but they want him to be the man last year. Uh, it, it's, it's intriguing because, you know, Dustin, I know Dustin very well. Dustin didn't decide on hanging up until very late in the season, right? He had a bad injury in San Jose. Got his, basically his fung, finger got pulverized by a puck in San Jose. And I think just going through all the injuries that he's had over 
the 18 year career. So like, it's just, I, I've done what I made my legacy. They're going to retire my Jersey. And that may come down to Jonathan quick as well. He may not make a decision in training camp. He may not make a decision by opening night, but you know, if he goes through, let's say an injury rack season where he has a knee injury or a groin injury or, or hamstrings and just maybe too much because the preparation for these seasons is what gets these guys. And again, with a guy who's set for life, who has established his legacy here, is not going to play for another team. It's very, very interesting. I think it's incumbent on Jonathan Quick's health and how Kyle Peterson performs next season. Mm, that's a big deal. Cannot wait to see what happens with the Kings, though. Uh, should be uh, should be tons of fun. But I do want to move over to Seattle for a second because yep. they were able to pry away Oliver Bjorkstrand for uh, for for a few draft picks, which a lot of teams I know out here on the East Coast were. Not too happy about it. And I can tell you, I know a lot of fans I saw all over social media say, well, why couldn't we give up a couple of a uh, couple of picks here? Why couldn't we get Oliver Bjorkstrand for a few? Um, and, you know, for for what Seattle was able to get for him uh, or or what Seattle was able to give up for him was absolutely fantastic. He also got Burak- uh, Andre Burakovsky as well in yeah. free agency. Um I mean, this is a team that slowly is on the rise, I guess. You know, do you see this team – um, you know, potentially making a, uh, a a big leap in the standings? Like, I don't know. What do you see there with Seattle? I don't know if they need to make a big leap in the standings. They have to be way more entertaining. That was a boring-ass <laughs> team last year. Like, they were they were just – and it's Haxtell. I know that's his system, and they were just so – but had no scoring. I, it just they, – they weren't – I could look. I make it a point to watch almost every game or try to watch every game. I watch these games, sit through the first period. I'm like, wow, this is like the same. This is just terrible. So when they add the scoring, I, I think their progression will come again. Like we touched on already through center rights. Like, what's Manny Beniers going to be? Yeah. Right? They have Yanni Gord, who's a solid. You know, it's Yanni Gord again, 21, 27, 48 points. That's a solid season. Right now they have Winberg, who's probably going to play with Bjorkstrand, who's probably going to be on the third line. So I, I think how well that the uh, the center ice play fares in a division that has a lot of really good centers. I think that's, you know, that's number one. Number two, what kind of goaltender is, is Grubauer going to be? Yeah. Right? He started off poorly, got better in the regular season, and they were supposed to be tough to play against. But when you can't score, you're not that tough to play against. Right? At some point, you have to have offense. So I think that they'll be more exciting. And look, I was saying at the draft, like they have to find a way to get Shane right at four. And nobody, yes. no, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. Of course, no way. He's four. And so I think in the future with Beneers and with Gord and Shane Wright, fine. I, I don't think they're going to make a lot of noise, but they have to be at least more entertaining than last season because the honeymoon, and it's a great building. I was in the building a couple of times last season. Like that honeymoon is going to go last. And people, it's great that, and people love the hockey up there. But, but at some point, you're going to have to be, if you're not winning, you've got to be more entertaining. So to me, I think job number one from for Francis and the rest of the organization is to get a better competitive, more entertaining product on the ice. Mm, that's a big deal, especially when we do know that uh, Dave Haxtell was an absolute dud uh, where I am in Philadelphia. Um, so it's going to be uh, going to be really tough. So a couple more questions for you, DB, and then, uh, and then Mike is going to do since Rob DeLuca is not here with us tonight and has not been with us for a while. He by, he also says hello to you as does Ian. Of course. Uh, so my next question for you is Vancouver, because we saw obviously the trade that was made. Oliver Ekman Larson, uh, was supposed to be, you know, this, 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 this big time guy that, that yep. was 
come over from Arizona and was supposed to, you know, make everything better. Not the case whatsoever. And there were also rumors that I saw all over social media that, uh, that Vancouver might be potentially shopping him. That, that rumor died fast, but I mean, again, when you're paying this man $7.26 million, and I think there was a retained salary on that with uh, Mm -hmm. maybe a million dollars or whatever. Um, That, as you brought up about with Bo Horvat, who's their team captain. Now, this kind of puts them in a little bit of a situation where they might not have room to sign other players, but they did re-sign JT Miller. Where do you see this team going? Because it almost seems like they're going down, up, down, up, but they should just consistently be up. But it, it's it's really very question marky, if you will. Yeah, well, they missed the playoffs by five points. Yeah. But they played way better with Bruce Boudreau. Whatever right. reason, it didn't work with Travis Green anymore. Uh, he moved on. Bruce came in, did a great job. So, yeah, I, I, I think they're going to trade Bo Horvath. Because Bo's, remember, Bo's unrestricted at the end of the season. He's yep. an unrestricted free agent. He's making $5.5 million. I, I don't see if you have to pay – you know, you're already paying Quinn. You're going to have to pay Elias Pedersen, right? Because he had 7-3. He's going to be restricted at the, the end of 2024. Uh, I think that's the move that you make because you've now said that this is JT Miller's team by giving them that money, yep. right? So that, that's it. So I think that – and I, I, th- again, this is the opposite of Seattle. I think they're entertaining. I think they score a lot of goals. I question defense. You talk about OEL, Tyler Myers – Hey, look, he was a plus 15 last year. I know people rip on the guy, and I know plus or minus people go nuts when I mention plus minus. Uh, this is a competitive team that I, I think can get in the postseason. If, let's say, an L.A. falls out or maybe you don't have five teams make it from the central division. Uh, but I, I think it's a one and out. I, I just don't – and I like Tyler – I like Demko a lot. I just don't think there's enough quality there to say, okay, this is a team that's going to threaten – Let's see, if, Cal- if you think Calgary and Edmonton are at the top of the division, Double J, then this team is not prepared to beat one of those teams at this point. See, that's that that's tough, especially with the amount of with the amount of money that they have tied into a lot of these players. And and again, I and and the, really the one that I look at is the OEL trade when you've got him for another, yeah. let's see, five more years. Long time. And, yeah, yep. exactly. And that's gonna be a really, really tough. Uh, player to trade if and he's he's on a uh, no movement I believe so um, that's going to be tough as well and how much also the cap goes up to in a certain amount of time to uh, retain yeah. whatever it may be going to be tough uh, DB my my last question for you or actually my last one and a half question before we get to Mike and he'll close it out um, you know the 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 media now and since we're all a part of the media it must be really amazing for you where two years have gone by and we have um two and a half years have gone by and there have there's been zoom availability and it's not the same and i remember again we spoke about this when we first met in the interview series how you know this is going to be a completely different um this is going to be different where you know you're not going to have that access that you once had and everything the unknown they, the light was not at the end of the tunnel now and yeah. here we are the light is at the end of the tunnel and we're all walking through it which is fantastic and for you db uh you're able to now go back into the locker room and make those connections again how cool is that that you know we're beyond where we were a couple of years ago when you and i first met and got to talk about your life and everything along those lines and you know now you're able to go meet with the guys again well, when, when fans say it doesn't matter who cares, it, it matters a lot. Like, if you want better stories about these guys, 
Like we sit and have conversations with them in the locker room on off days. And and it it matters a lot, right? Because nobody likes, and just from an emotional standpoint, nobody wanted to walk in the locker rooms with a mask, right? I was one of three American journalists, media at the bubble in Edmonton for the Stanley Cup final. That was great. I made history. It was the worst thing in the world, sitting in an empty building with no fans in Edmonton, a beautiful building and playing Stanley Cup final between Dallas and, and Tampa Bay. It was horrible. So this is, it's great. It's great for everyone. It's great for the players because they get more publicity and they get more. And, and here's what it also does. Like, remember, I think it was last season when um, Leon Dreisaitl and Jim Matheson had a little spat there about Jim knows everything. And Well, you know, if, if we had locker room access, that spat never becomes public because if Leon has a beef or if any writer has a beef with a writer, one of the Kings, although I've never had a beef with anybody in Los Angeles because I treat people fairly, but if there's a beef on an off day, Leon could grab Jim and they can have a private conversation in the room and square things out. You can't do that over Zoom. You can't do that when you get in the locker rooms. Right? Relationships went out the window. Any new player that came into LA, like a Byfield or Kaliev, you don't get to know these guys because they get to try them out. And it's not the Kings fault. I'm not blaming them. They'll try them out every five or six days and you'll talk to them for a couple of minutes as opposed to every day when you're there pregame, when they're there on an off day, when they're there for morning skates, it changes the dynamic considerably with respect to storytelling. So I think we all benefit from it. And again, it's normal. I can't wait. And look, I went to their uh, rookie camp and I was in the, the Ontario rain locker room with the kids, but I was, you know, I didn't have a mask on. It was great, but I can't wait for next Thursday. We're kind of walk in the locker room and say to Drew Daddy, hey, Drew, you never wanted us in the locker rooms anymore, but guess what? We're back. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I get, and I cannot wait to see that reaction yeah. too. When uh, from from him, when you tell him that, that's fantastic. Well, I mean, listen, and you know, again, as you know, both Mike and I were part of the media as well for uh, you know, obviously not professional, but college stuff. Uh, you know, it's really good that that'll all be happening. So I personally am very happy yeah. for you and for the entire. Uh, for all media that way. Uh, my last question for you, DB, before Mike takes it over. Um, the Rams, I mean, you were there. Th- listen, what happened? What happened? I picked them in my survivor pool. I'm out. I'm out. Thanks a lot. Unbelievable. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be picking against the Bills, a team against the Bills in the survivor pool, number one. Number two, like, are, are you like a Jet fan? No, I'm an Eagles fan. <laughs> okay, well, they did well. Um, what happened? Uh, they played a damn good team. Yeah, that's what they did. Uh, Josh Allen's a fantastic, and not people. Their defense is really. Von Miller had two sacks. He was a wild man. So it it was the wrong team to open up against. And I get it. It was Thursday night, and you want to open up against one of the elite teams against elite teams. And look, they missed Andrew Whitworth. It's not the same team. They miss OBJ. It's not. It's still a real. And I love look. Cooper Cup's my man. Matthew Stafford proved everybody wrong. Uh, but that's a tough opener. Now, if it's the same result on Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons, then I'll be worried. But one game, one season, and then I see San Francisco lose. They don't look great. I mean, Seattle's leading the division with Geno Smith as the quarterback, so I'm not worried yet. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, conclude this. Uh, con- conclude our always laughing chat with DB. Yeah, so DB, just to round it up overall in the division, you alluded to it before. Are we looking at you know, in terms of the standings, are we looking at a, a similar sort of playoff picture? Is it going to be a little bit tightening in the standings? Who's going to win the Pacific Division? How many points is it going to take? 
Well, I, to Mike, to answer the question, I, I don't think the winner's going to have 111 like they did last season. I think there's more strength at the bottom of the division. Teams are a little bit better. Uh, so I think you're probably looking at maybe 105. I, I think it'll be a dogfight, and I think it's probably a three-team dance between Calgary, Edmonton, and Los Angeles. So I, I think that you're looking at 105, 106 wins of the division. Um, I'll stick with Calgary because I think the impact of the players that they added, like it, it just it, it kind of regenerates that team, right? Because you had guys there. I'm saying, okay, Johnny's leaving. You know, Kachuk's going to walk. What's going to happen with this team? And now, wow, like this team is serious and it, it galvanizes the rest of the, the, the depth chart. When you see Tree go and get uh, Nas Kadri, like, he's not messing around. Like we want to win. Like we're not happy and we're not satisfied. And everybody says nobody wants to play in Calgary. Well, Jonathan Hooper don't want to play in Calgary. Now, granted, I might want to play in Calgary for $10.5 million a year. But I, I think it's a close race. It could go down to the last weekend. A, a more competitive division, I think, top to bottom. I'll still say Calgary will win it, and I'll probably say with 105 points. But it wouldn't shock me if if L.A. or Edmonton rose up and, and grabbed it. But I, I think it does go down to the final couple of days of the uh, of regular season before we see the winner. But I'll, I'll go with Calgary as a repeat performer. Doesn't mean they'll go far in the playoffs, but I like them to still win the division, albeit much closer than last year. Oh, that's going to be uh, something to watch for with, as DB did say, uh, a tighter a tighter division with the bottom three getting a little bit better, with the exception, of course, of San Jose, because that's just an absolute disaster. And yeah. we didn't really talk about them because that's just all negativity. Ladies and gentlemen, our good friend Dennis Bernstein, DB, one of the co-hosts of The Hot Stove, powered by the fourth period on Saturday mornings from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern time on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio Channel 91. DB, as always, thank you so much for coming on here. And uh, when do you when when do you guys go back on? You, Peyton, uh, and Dave go back on. It's this. I believe it's October 8th. It's the second Saturday. So it's right. Yeah. October 8th is the second Saturday in October. The opening night's the 11th. So we'll come back on the air on October 8th. I'll also be doing um, probably doing some uh, co-hosting work with Steve Coolius on the power play from three to six Eastern as well. Um, I sat in about once a month, once a, once a week last year, last season, when I mean, you have guys like Shane O'Brien, uh, Mike Robb, Marty Baron also co-hosting, but uh, look for me to return there. But uh, first show for hot stove, 11 o'clock Eastern is October 8th, um, right before the season starts on the 11th. And there's no doubt about it. Ladies and gentlemen, of course, also on the bottom too, you'll be able to find DB on Twitter at Dennis TFP. Uh, for for everything LA Kings and really all the National Hockey League. DB, as always, thank you, my friend, for coming on. Always a pleasure, and we will see you soon. Double J, Mike, thanks for time on the primetime rundown. Great talking to you. All right, thanks. We'll see you soon. Well, Mike, it has been a fun one uh, with DB, of course, and it's always a fun time with DB. Always a fun time. Yeah, just fantastic stuff. Always good stuff from him and a real good roundup of the division. And I uh, love the interesting insight there. Looks like a, a, a things will be a little bit tighter. Uh, they, it, we, we spoke about it off air, how much uh, uh, the, the movement there was in the Pacific division. It, it, that was probably, as a collective uh, division as a whole, was probably uh, some of the more uh, active uh, in, in the NHL. So, uh, could be in for an interesting year. Yeah, I mean, and and again, just by looking at just to give my just just to give my quick take, um, I personally believe that uh, San Jose, as we did say, is going to be at the bottom of the barrel. Anaheim will be right right above it. 
Um, I expect LA to do to do not not as good as they were last year. But again, when 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 you have a playmaker like Kevin Fiala, as what DB said. I know that they don't have a lot of depth, but there's a few players that need to definitely step up. Step up, and one's Lias Anderson, another one's Brendan Lemieux, obviously to uh, to Ranger, uh, you know, legends, of course. Uh, Quinton Byfield, too. You know, there's so many solid things, and there's another team that we didn't really talk about much was Anaheim. You know, Ryan Strom, Frank Vitrano joining them now i think i feel like vitrano might have been a one-year wonder i think if if he would have if he would have re-signed with the rangers it would have been a little bit better because he's got that chemistry there already and i think they're going to miss him the rangers which we'll get to in a few weeks um but you know that that top line presence um on the wing on the right side anyway will definitely be missed um it's it's going to be tough out in anaheim like i said we didn't really um we didn't really talk about them much um but We'll see what happens. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun National Hockey League season. And next week, Mike, I'm right back here in Philly. You'll be back home in Queens, and we'll be talking um, the Central Division. We'll be talking about uh, first off, obviously the uh, the the Stanley Cup champs, the Colorado Avalanche, and we'll be going down the list. Uh, we'll be talking about, of course, uh, what Arizona brings in their five thousand seat arena shared with uh, shared with the Arizona State Sun Devils, an absolute disaster. Uh, of a franchise how the nhl is allowing them to play there is beyond me but hey listen i think that would be really cool uh all of those ticket prices are actually astronomical why yeah. because it's a, again supply and demand there, there, there there's there's a lot of demand to go see an nhl team pretty much play in like craft hockeyville games for for 82 for 82 uh, for for 41 games you know and for those that don't know craft hockeyville you know, they're, they're played in little buildings, right? The NHL gives some money, Kraft donates some money as well. And it's almost like they're playing in, in like ice works out in Syosset for the, for those that know uh, the, the former Islanders uh, practice facility. What a disaster. Um, we'll also be talking about Chicago, Dallas, Minnesota. They've got $12 million in dead cap. Uh, Dallas, they, uh, you know, they've, they're going to have Jake Ottinger, who's going to be signed. I think he signed already that, that, that long-term deal three years. Um, St. Louis has been re-signing guys, um, Jordan Cairo, Rob Thomas. Um, so those things like that are going to Winnipeg. That's another big deal too. Today, Blake, uh, Blake Wheeler's, uh, captaincy was stripped, uh, today because Rick bonus wants a full view of what's going to be, uh, for this team. This is a team that's really in, uh, in purgatory right now. So I don't know, um, what's going to be in the central, but again, this is a clear cut Colorado division that, um, that I don't know if they can, if, if they'll, they'll ever relinquish it again, Nashville too. Nashville looked okay, but again, they're coached by John Hines. They do have, uh, Ryan McDonough, uh, there now as well, but he's aging. So, um, yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of cool things coming up, Mike, in that central division. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be a real interesting, uh, start to the year in the NHL, and we're going through our preview division and a lot to talk about there in the Central, as, as you just laid out. Some of the storylines uh, really well there, a lot of turnover and, and a lot of a good collection of teams that it, there's a lot of uncertainty of where the direction of their franchise really is. 
Yeah, really crazy stuff there. Uh, so with that being said, we will end a little bit early today just because uh, we've pretty much run through everything, Mike. It's been uh, it's been a fun show. Um, again, it's it's been um, it's been a fun time. So uh, cannot thank DB enough for coming on. And um, yeah, let's get to our kudos. Mike, it's all you. Well, yeah, uh, going back to what we started almost the show with and uh, again, not taking for granted kudos to Aaron Judge for you know, taking the risk and betting on himself this year. You know, we've said it time and time again and betting on himself, not taking a long-term extension. And we'll see what the numbers wind up being in the offseason. That's going to be a tense discussion uh, we'll have in a few weeks and months' time. But, uh, you know, he he's massively uh, won the, the bet, betting on himself and whatnot. He's having, just as I said before at the beginning of our show, just one of the best individual seasons for a major league baseball player in the last 20 years uh you know kudos to him for for what he you know what he's been producing there was of course that viral video in the off season where you know you he, he was taking batting uh you know swings in the cage and whatnot and he's joking he's like oh i'm gonna hit 50 again this year and he's hit that and, and much more and you know, I think you even have to put him on triple crown watch with what he's doing in in the American League, and we'll talk about the the MVP discussion later on, which that he could put the the grievances uh, gif up there because that, that's just ridiculous. The conversation that's causing absolute—I don't care if I'm a New Yorker, a Yankees fan, or biased or whatever—absolutely ridiculous that that's a, that's even a conversation and a debate. But more on that later, but. Um, you know, just kudos for to him and go get that record, man. Get it as quick as possible. So next week we can have even more kudos. <laughs> well, next week also is episode number 100. Episode 100 is next week. And we will be bringing back something that a lot of folks have not heard since, since the days pre-COVID. That is the only, that is the only hint that I will give away tonight. The only hint I'll give away is that there will be a few things that we will be, we will be reviving from the first five episodes will be on next week. Going to be tons of fun. Uh, Mike, my kudos goes to veteran Fox sports reporter in Aaron Andrews. Now, I don't know for those that um, that typically keep up with media stories or anything along those lines. I usually keep up with sports business journal, uh, a lot of things regarding the sports media and everything like that. Um, but this one made it all around uh, social media and all around every single news outlet, um, MSNBC, CNN, Fox news, everything. Um, Mike, Aaron Andrews was in, um, they did the uh, Minnesota and green Bay Packers game last week. Um Greg Olson, Kevin Burkhardt, and Aaron, and Aaron Andrews, right? Um, during an appearance, how we found out about this, Aaron Andrews has a podcast with Carissa Thompson, who is one of the uh, Fox Fox Sports hosts uh, for Fox NFL Kickoff and also uh, one of the hosts for Thursday Night Football as well on Amazon Prime. Uh, calm down with Aaron and Carissa. Erin um, said that she had planned to take her car service from Chicago to Green Bay, um, so she could listen in on some conference calls. Um, she can, you know, figure a few things out ahead of her big interview with Aaron Rodgers, right? Which we eventually saw last week. But in that time span, 
there was a little bit of a problem with her driver. Now, she had a driver, I guess a limo driver. Now, she didn't go into that. The driver fell asleep behind the wheel. Fell asleep behind the wheel. And the reason why she found out about it was because she heard snoring and the car was moving. Was pretty much swaying. She flat out said that that was not a way that she wanted to die. That was not a way that she wanted to go out. So what did she do for the driver? She immediately said, are you effing sleeping? And apparently the guy woke up, whatever, and she told him, stop over at this McDonald's. I'm going to get you a coffee right now. So she runs into the McDonald's. She gets him a coffee. He doesn't drink it. And it was an awkward moment of silence the rest of the way. But the reason why my kudos goes to her is because as a media member, you're in the process of doing all of this, but your life is also at risk too. You're in the backseat of a car, of a limo. You're driving up from Chicago to Green Bay, which by the way, is a, it's a little bit of a drive. You're driving all the way up there and your driver falls asleep behind the wheel. For those that are out there that are just tired, pull over. If you can't do it, pull over. I've had my experience of that before. Just pull over and that's exactly where we will leave it. So uh, yeah, crazy stuff has gone on in the sports world the last week. And as you can see too, uh, things happening all across the country uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of sports, both um, on the field, off the field, everything along those lines. So uh, let's, uh, let's conclude our show with, uh, with, of course, our good friends from the Essential Wrestling Podcast. On Tuesday night, September 20th, 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the guys Al Carl, John DeCani, John Smith, and Gary Mihefi will be back with you to recap everything that has gone down in the world of wrestling only right here on the Eastern Observer. Also can be heard, too, on Odyssey, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and all of the above. Of course, our show, The Primetime Rundown, powered by StreamYard, will return next Friday, episode number 100. We've got a ton of surprises for you. We're going to have uh, some good some good, some good, good things to, uh, to show you all next week. Our show can be seen right here on the Eastern Observer by subscribing to us on YouTube. And of course, you can listen to it on Odyssey, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Of course, ladies and gentlemen, too, as we always show, be sure to search the Primetime Rundown on, the, on YouTube and, of course, on all of the audio platforms. And please hit that subscribe button. We really appreciate it. And the same thing goes for also our friends at the Essential Wrestling Podcast. Be sure to search the exact title, and hit that subscribe button by also searching the Eastern Observer at the following platforms as well. So that's where we conclude. So back here, I will be in Philadelphia uh, next week. Uh, it will be, you know, that's that that that's where we'll be. We won't have the backdrop for the next few weeks, but uh, it's going to be uh, Mike holding down the fort back home in New York. And uh, yeah, episode 100, Mike. Can't believe that we are going to have three digits after tonight in uh, in this show yeah it's absolutely incredible and when you know it, it seems like so long ago and first coming on with you guys recurring guests and whatnot and it, it it seems so far so far you know ago and it was like what episode 60s 70s and whatnot and and you know we've come all all this way all these weeks fantastic shows we've had such great guests on over the last you know 
year, months, whatever that I've been in and out and now full time on. Um, we've had a lot of great conversations, a lot of great moments and fantastic to get to number 100 and, you know, God bless for the amazing uh, times that we've had. And, you know, here's to another hundred. Absolutely. Cannot wait to show everyone what episode 100 will be like. Ladies and gentlemen, for my co-host, Mike Zabo, our good friend, Ian Schreier, who's out on paternity leave, he will be with us later on in the year. I'm Joey Jerzinka, and for all of us here at the Primetime Rundown and the Eastern Observer and the Blackjack Media Group, we will see you all next Friday night when we host episode 100 right here on the Eastern Observer. So long, everybody.